morning. The time is now 9 a.m. on this Monday, the 17th of August, and welcome to Community Pulse, your locally produced report on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. Uh, this will be the final week that you can catch us four times a week live here at 9 a.m. from the KOPN studios. Next week, we will be implementing a new schedule. But in any event, all of our backdated episodes are uploaded to our Facebook profile, also to KOPN.org, and you can find them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. On today's program, we have Dr. Elizabeth Alleman on the line, and she has written an open letter uh, suggesting several public uh, policy implementations. It has been signed by over 100 medical professionals, including Missouri's very own, or the University of Missouri's very own Nobel laureate. We have oh so much to get to this morning. So, Dr. Alleman, how are you? Good morning. I am well. And can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Uh-oh. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, I, I want to just make one modification. Although I requested that health professionals be the primary people who had signed the letter, lots of concerns have since too. So I haven't counted how many physicians and nurses have signed it. And it's interesting that most people who've looked have noticed that um, uh, Dr. Smith signed it. But one of the ones that the signatures that really means a lot to me is Dr. Howenstein signed it. And Dr. Howenstein has recently, in the last year or two, resigned from being the uh, retired from being the medical director of our uh, Columbia City of Columbia Boone County Health Department. So she served in that capacity for her career. Um, so for 20 or 30 years, Dr. Howenstein has been on the front lines of public health and has agreed with these uh, proposals and has been willing to sign on. So, And I also want to say that there are a lot of physicians in Columbia who do not feel comfortable signing a public letter because they need to uh, preserve their um, – it, it, there's a value in staying politically neutral as a physician, and many people, increasingly physicians, are employed people, and so – they need to keep their jobs. And so as an independent physician, I can speak a little bit more open, heart, open, uh, more openly. So, um, yeah, and we are asking um, for uh, the primary thing that I, the big ask is that we close bars in Columbia during this time while we are seeing increasing cases. And we are also wanting to do some other things. Um, the scientific advisory group for emergencies in the United Kingdom, we don't apparently have, we have a similar thing, but it's part of the Centers for Disease Control, has said uh, Professor Graham Medley, who chairs the SAGE subgroup on pandemic modeling, said from an, an article in The Guardian, said reopening schools was a priority for the well-being of children and that some other activities might have to stop to control the infection rate. I think we're in a situation whereby most people think that opening schools is a priority for the health and well-being of children and that we have to that when we that when we do that we're going to have to reconnect lots of households and so actually closing some other of the other networks some of the other activities may well be required to enable us to open schools it might come down to a question of which do you trade off against each other and then that's a matter of prioritizing do we think pubs are more important than schools so this is not just something that is happening in Colombia. There are um, about half of the states in the United States have all of their bars closed statewide. And, and we have not ever had statewide closing of bars. So we have all of our bars in Colombia are open. There are some uh, limitations. They have to keep people farther apart. 
Um, the health department has recently clarified that um, masks need to be worn whenever people are not sitting at their table and that people need to mostly sit at tables. Um, and what we know is that you can't wear a mask while you drink and while you eat. And that that is most of what happens in bars is drinking and eating. I'm not saying that aren't other lovely things that happen in bars. But a good part of the time, people want their mouths open, uh, available so they can eat and drink. So masking is not going to really be helpful in bars and restaurants. And, and particularly in bars, once people have consumed a fair amount of alcohol, their um, impulses are a little bit less regulated and they're, um, uh, they're, they make less wise decisions. We know that. It's one of the reasons some of us like to drink. And, um, and so people are going to very easily revert to what feels familiar to standing close to each other, to talking, to laughing, maybe even singing along with the music. And we know all of those things are increased risk for spread. Um, we're at a vulnerable time in our community where we have rising cases. We have cases who, that were previously rising are now stabilized at a pretty unsustainable rate. Our health department is not able currently to contact people who have recently turned positive to instruct them about isolation and quarantine and to identify their contacts and contact, and contact their contacts in a timely fashion. So it's taking more than 48 hours for many people to hear from the health department, which, which is, it just means that more spread can happen before people get the information they need. And it's also really hard for people to be without information. And I am just, I know that the people at the health department are working hard as they can. We are getting, you know, we're stressing them. They are, they're at their busiest. They have been given CARES Act funds. It's my understanding there's some, some argument about where the money actually is in the process, but they are hiring people and onboarding them. And what we know is those are times when an organization does not function at its best. Uh, I'm sure they are doing the very best they can, but having a lot of new employees is not the most efficient time, and we need them to be very efficient. At the same time, we have uh, invited and we are welcoming 30,000 new friends and neighbors and students into uh, the city of Columbia to attend our colleges and they are going to live in dorms and they are of an age group, which is seeing the highest relative incidence of this illness. So they are seem to be the age group that is spreading this illness infection through our communities. Luckily, they are not the ones who are likely to overwhelm our hospitals. So that is a, I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't be happy about anybody who gets sick. Um, but they are, uh, they are likely to do well with this, um, with this infection. However, they are also likely to interact with people in other age groups, either uh, workers at um, the businesses they go to, they attend, uh, professors and um, faculty and staff at the colleges they attend. Um, and uh, their own family members, and if they aren't living on campus, there are other household members who may not be in the same demographic. And we also, in the next couple of weeks, want to open our primary and secondary schools. So households that have previously been, since March, have mostly been disconnected from each other, are gonna get reconnected in large numbers through our public schools. Um, and the Columbia Public Schools is very clear. They have some clear benchmarks about, um, about 
connecting how much in-person activity is going to happen between students with the um, numbers of case, new cases in the community. And um, I, so those are our three major vulnerabilities. That is combined with <clears throat> a, uh, a decline in the number of tests and the increase in our positivity rate, which means that we're missing a lot of cases. So I'm particularly concerned um, that we need some uh, additional restrictions on some of the other things we're doing if we're going to, and we have, uh, welcome 30,000 new residents into our community and we plan on opening our schools to in-person activities. So th these, the, I'm, these are my concerns. I am not, I, you know, again, <laughs> like I always say, this is mainly, a, you know, most people who get this virus will have a mild illness. And I, I'm talking to people who, I'm now beginning to talk to people who are testing positive, And they're a little disoriented, like, oh, but I only had a little sore throat and a little bit of nasal congestion. And I'm positive. This is it. I, I really thought I had to be sicker to get tested. So when we say get tested if you have symptoms, we mean any symptoms. So if you have a runny nose, a sore throat, a headache, fever, you feel bad, your, your appetite's down, you're exhausted. Um, yeah, if you are, feel like you're coming down with something, give us a call and let us fig help you figure out whether that's the time to get tested. So I have, um, if anybody else wants to look at this letter, it's on my website at dralleman.com. That's D-R and then my last name, A-L-L-E-M-A-N-N.com. not trying to use KOPN drive traffic to my website. It's the free place I could publish this. If people want to sign on to it, they are welcome to. And I'll be speaking to the city council and making public comment to the city council at 7 o'clock this evening. So I... Um, have a few, you know, this, this has been guided by um, some reading that I've done. <clears throat> One is uh, an article from the Columbia Daily Tribune by Rudy Keller po posted on August the 8th, um, uh, giving us a little bit of insight about the data from the wastewater testing. And in that article, um, Dr. Johnson, who's been the um, has been a guest here. Uh, he said that they've been analyzing samples sent in daily from Boise, Idaho, for the last month. That was in August, August eighth, and he watched it grow as the city eased restrictions on gatherings from a few thousand copies per liter to more than ten thousand copies per liter per liter. Then it really spiked. His quotation: "It was five days into phase four, and bars are open." Johnson said. That was the first time I saw something over 1 million copies per liter and fell out of my seat. So um, this is a, a project in the, at the University of Missouri where they are testing wastewater for, uh, they're counting the number of copies of viral RNA that is secreted, that is shed in people's stool. We don't think that this causes infection, but it's a way for us to monitor the incidence of the illness, the infection in our communities. So, so uh, Dr. Johnson is implying that opening bars is a way to really increase the spread of this illness in our communities. Um, in addition, 
uh, a publication from <clears throat> the School of Public Health. Um, oh, goodness, I'm not seeing where. Oh, it's Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Uh, titled The Important and Elusive Science Behind Safely Reopening Schools. And what they're saying is the biggest factor determining risk in schools is what the virus is doing outside of them. So Columbia Public Schools um, um, benchmarking their activities on community spread is uh, reflective of this, kind, this wisdom. Um, uh, Mayo Clinic, safe outdoor activities during COVID-19, and they talk about outdoor dining, patio dining, but they say that um, uh, is a moderate risk activity, but a high risk activity is large gatherings, being large crowds of people where it's difficult to stay spaced six to 12, six feet apart, poses the highest risk. The longer people are together in these situations, the higher the risk. Weddings, festivals, and parades are examples. And I think that they would include bars they did not specifically. So, um, and then uh, CDC guideline considerations for restaurants and bars. The lowest risk is food service limited to drive-through delivery, takeout, and curbside. More risk drive-through delivery, takeout, and curbside pickup is emphasized. On-site dining limited to outdoor seating. Seating capacity reduced to allow tables to be spaced at least six feet apart. Even more risk is on-site dining with both indoor and outdoor seating. Uh, seating capacity reduced to allow tables to be spaced at least six feet apart. That's what we are allowing right now in Columbia. And the highest risk is on-site dining with both indoor and outdoor seating, and seating capacity is not reduced, and tables not spaced at least six feet apart. So, um, it occurs to me, Dr. Yeah. Roman, that um, so you're saying, though, that, that the measures that we currently have in Columbia aren't aren't enough, that the, uh, the, the indoor dining, the spaced dining uh, is not safe, in your opinion, with 30,000 students returning uh, to the uh, to the city. And the fact that the health department is the department that is tasked with um, uh, uh, enforcing our mask uh, or all of these ordinances. So if there is a violation, there is a mechanism. You can call the health department and let them know, and they have an investigator who will go out and do this. And there is a way for uh, facilities and businesses to be fined. But it seems like the health department is already working really hard, and it, I, I don't know. I don't want to comment on whether they have the capacity to do this at its full um, uh you know, the fullness that we needed. I know that um, Jenny Chadwick was out this weekend taking photographs and bars and restaurants are not complying with the mask ordinance. So uh, not universally. Um, so we have, it. it is much easier to enforce, yeah, we're only doing this outdoors or we're closing these than to try to enforce, okay, everybody has to stay farther apart. You have to wear your mask when you're not at the table the servers need to wear masks. Um, we have, you know, there's also this um, rule that if you're sitting at a, if you are a customer in a business, then, then you're supposed to interact with the same employee. And, and when bars get busy, that is going to be hard to designate one server to a table and have no other employee interact with that table. Well, it seems like these half measures, um, you know, we allow businesses to reopen, but we, we're not really allowing them to make any money. 
I mean, if you're the, the only way that you can uh, <clears throat> run a restaurant at this point is with one quarter capacity. Same for a movie theater. In principle, the same for a bar. Same for bowling alleys, concerts, and music halls. Uh, all of these things that you're that you mention. Uh, I mean, I can. The measures are quite. Uh, broad. I mean, you're taking a, a very broad stand here, saying closing all bars, restricting all restaurants to outdoor seating and takeout service, closing all indoor movie theaters, arcades, bowling alleys, concert music halls, also all indoor exercise facilities um, right. who, who have their own distancing measures at the moment. I mean, I, I go to a, a right. gym and, you know, every other treadmill is cordoned off. You're required to wear a mask while you're moving about the uh, the club there, but not at your specific station. And then most people are courteous enough to sanitize the equipment after they're done with it. I haven't seen anybody not uh, comply with that. But we so we close gyms and exercise facilities too, and all of this is part of the trade-off of what we need to do in order to open our schools. Um, you know, it's important to note moving forward with this. There, there's of course no win-win scenario for anybody. Uh, if we... thank you for pointing out that all of this costs us a lot, and I get it. Um, I. Um, I am enough of a socialist that I don't think we should be doing these restrictions without the support that's needed. But I don't know where we get the support. So if it were up to me, um, there would be um, support for any business that we ask to close or restrict their businesses. So I, I don't know what all these businesses need to do, but I want for us, I am working really hard to figure out how to do healthcare outside. Because I think the outside um, environment is the only safe place to do these connecting, household connecting activities. Well, and indeed, some of the signatories to your letter are also uh, business people. There's a bar manager on here. I mean, I didn't mean to give the impression right. that the, at the beginning that the only people signing this letter were medical professionals. Uh, in no. truth, there's plenty of concerned citizens. There's plenty of private citizens. There's plenty of uh, people who work or or depend on uh, on local businesses. Yes, there's a lot of MDs, PhDs, and uh, <laughs> um, RNs and, and things of that nature, but we have plenty of other people signing this as well. So plenty of people who work in these industries are in favor of these restrictions as well. The question moving forward is, is that we, there is no win-win scenario in a new post-COVID-19 world. If we're to open schools, if we want to say that we're going to uh, allow 30,000 students back into this town and into onto a campus even uh, in a limited capacity, then there are other uh, areas that can easily spread the virus that have to be restricted. Right. Perfect. And also, I who knows how much we actually have to do to control the spread enough so that we don't overwhelm our public health department, we don't overwhelm our hospitals, we still can keep... Um, students from, you know, very young to, to graduate students in allowing them to have contact in an educational academic way with their peers and with their teachers. But I think we ought to do, it seems like when, when the patient is really sick, I use a lot of medicine and then I gradually taper it off. And so it feels like there's a lot at stake here. And so I think we need to start to do more things. Um, you know, the whole thing about what is a safe situation for exercising. I don't know. But now we're beginning to document that aerosols are a way that my virus can exist in aerosols. 
And the modeling from the cruise ships indicates that the most likely way that that was spread was through the air, like not just from one person to another, but through perhaps through the HVAC system. So when a person is breathing heavily when they're exercising, they are perhaps creating aerosols that will linger in the air and circulate through the HVAC system and be there for as long as two or three hours. So putting and may trans, you know, may float around more than 20 feet away. So it begins to ask a question of like, can we safely exercise indoors together? I'm all for exercising. And I understand you have to have lots of different ways to exercise for everybody to be doing it. But I wonder, again, I'm trying to figure out with my current facility that I just bought a year ago, how do I do healthcare outdoors? How do I deal with privacy? How do I deal with being able to hear when I'm outdoors and there's traffic sounds and I need to take a blood pressure? These are all questions that the people who are in these industries have to figure out. Is, is there a safer way to do all these things? And what we know from public health is that there is a large group of people who will do the healthier thing if we just give them information. So they're the people who quit smoking 20 or 30 years ago. They're the people who started wearing seatbelts in the 60s instead of waiting until they were mandated. Um, they're the people who, you know, uh, did great with family planning, started wearing condoms during early in the HIV crisis. There's another group of people who won't change their behavior until there's a rule, especially a rule that has a cost. And that is a big chunk of people. So, you know, we had a quarter of adults were, were smokers um, until, and probably more like 30%, until we started to really restrict the public areas where people could smoke. And then what, we, then what we need to do is do these social engineering things where doing the healthy thing is easy and is the default and requires no extra action. So that's things like, automatic seatbelts, which we kind of don't do much anymore, um, but uh, uh, making the, uh, you have to put up with the dinging in your car unless you fasten the seatbelt. And, and we, I don't know how we do the social engineering. I think we're starting to do some of those things where it's harder to get closer to people than to stay away from people. Um, and it's not that I want everybody to always stay away. I just want that to be the default. So that when people are need and need want, it's healthy for them to interact more closely. It's an intentional act rather than an accidental one. So um, not just telling people. So right now what we have in the city of Columbia is that the public was told we have to wear masks. And it's working. People are wearing masks. Not all the time, but we're, they're wearing masks. Apparently the students coming to campus They've still got, they've got some work to do on their mask game. And the city of Columbia, we've always been, you know, citizens of Columbia have always been part of the educational mission of the University of Missouri. And we'll step up and help these students learn how to wear masks and remind them and maybe even frown at them some. I hope everyone will be just so kind. Um, but so the public has been told there's a rule you have to wear a mask and there's a fine. Bars have been told, we'd like for you to up your game. And if we catch you, there's a little bit of a fine. But not a rule, like not like we're, we don't really have the teeth in it that we do for the public. 
and I think it's time for the the city council to step up and make some ordinances. I would love for the county commissioners to do that as well. They seem to be unwilling to, to act. Um, and I would love to see our governor and our, you know, our federal government make some, show some leadership. But they've been kind of unwilling to do any um, clear leader, take any clear leadership about this. And so that leaves this huge gap, which is falling on Columbia City Council for us, which isn't fair and it isn't right, but it is what it is, as our president has said, and so we have to deal with what we have. I want there to be a vibrant economy that survives through this difficult time. And I think that that's going to require some creativity, some out-of-box thinking, a lot of community support, um, and looking for ways to do all of the things that are essential to our economy um, in, in ways that are safer than what we've been doing before. And trying to cling to going back to what it was like before, I think is going to be ineffective at um, ineffective economically, culturally, and uh, from a public health perspective. I see. Since this is sort of a um, bifurcated discussion, one about the ordinances that you would like to see passed, and uh, the other half of the discussion is, is a little bit about what you would like to see in terms of the public health department upping its game. Um, can you be as specific as possible as, as what you'd like to see in terms of staffing, contact tracing efforts? What would make you feel as if um, we have a better way of, of uh, uh, informing ourselves about how the virus is spreading within the community? Yeah, so I would love to hear that the health department is able to contact uh, new cases within, within 48 hours and ideally you know, closer to 24 hours. I know it's hard to catch people, so it, it, they're making efforts and they're doing it. Um, and I would like for them to, to hear that they've been able to resume their activities for tuberculosis control, for uh, vaccinating uh, children who are returning to school, and um, also doing their contact tracing for sexually transmissible infections. Like, and also these proactive things that the health department has been attempting to do, things like um, uh, tobacco cessation, uh, um, uh, other public health uh, initiatives, which seem to have slipped my mind all the other things that the health department does. I know that they're doing many, many things, but we've all gotten so COVID focused that um, yeah, the health department has pretty much had to put most of their people on uh, contact tracing. So if I was to hear that they actually had all those people hired and they were beginning to be paid, I know there's been a little bit of a, a conflict between the county commissioners and the city council about the freeing up of the CARES Act funds, and I honestly have not had the bandwidth to be able to really understand what's going on. But I'll just say we need that money to flow, and I think it needs to primarily go to public health. And then we need to be supporting the most vulnerable in our communities, and then we need to be supporting our our small businesses. I value the small businesses, but um, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like the best protection for our small businesses is to have low transmission rates in our community. Do you have a particular number in mind? I mean, so um, <clears throat> in terms of, of how the, the outbreak is being measured worldwide now, a lot of what they're doing in Europe concentrates on the number of cases per 100,000 people. Uh, we're right. right around that here in Columbia with the students back. I mean, 130,000 some odd in Boone County, maybe 80, 90,000 in Columbia absent the students. Um, 
is there a particular number that we could hit that would make us feel as if transmission within the community has stabilized after the students come back? Um, you know, that's a great question, and I think I'm not the very best person to see it. Uh, you know, the Columbia Public School says if we get less than 10 cases per 10,000 in their catchment area, we're running around 20 now, they would do full in-seat school. To me, like, having our culture actually function would be my goal. So wow. the children in school, <laughs> and then at that point, yeah, if we got to that, then we ought to be able to do in-person dining and maybe open our bars again. Indeed. Well, you're, you're, of course, preaching to the choir here on a community radio station. But uh, to right. anyone who might be curious, um, what time can we hear you speak to the city council this evening? So apparently public comments are soon after the city council meeting starts at 7. Okay. So that's uh, please tune into the city council meeting uh, this evening to hear Dr. Allman and, and other citizens reads from around the <coughs> citizens, that is, other parts of the citizenry, I believe, is what I was attempting to say uh, here in Columbia. As well, here it comes. The students are coming back. We're entering a huge phase of reopening. And, well, we have to do this together, and we have to do it in a coordinated and cooperative way if we're going to stop huge spike in numbers here in Columbia. Would you not agree, Dr. Allman? Yes. Wear your mask, wash your hands, take your vitamin D, and cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a virus. And we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. That's right. Thank you so much, Dr. Allman, for all that you do and for all that you do for KOPN as well. It's always such a pleasure to speak with you. And that about wraps it up for today's edition of Community Pulse. As a reminder, we have a programming note. This will be the final week that Community Pulse will be coming to you live uh, Monday through Thursdays at 9 a.m. Starting next week, Community Pulse will air twice a week. We'll be here on Monday and Wednesdays from 9 to 9.30 a.m. And we have two new half-hour programs that will be running from 9.30 to 10. Between the Lines will be running on Mondays and the 51% on Wednesdays. And for those who miss the full version of Background Briefing, it will return to airing in its entirety on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. As a reminder, you can listen to all the Community Pulse episodes. They're uploaded to our website, also Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We thank you so very kindly for listening. We urge you to stay safe, stay informed, and as Dr. Alleman always says, cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body can handle infection. We'll look forward to speaking with you again tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. Mm-hmm.